Today's episode is brought to you by the Create Engage Marketing Accelerator, our brand new program to help startup consulting founders like you scale your business through digital marketing. This is something that I am really passionate about and so excited that we are able to launch. I regularly get messages from listeners like you and others in my network asking for marketing advice. Everything from what were the steps that I took to launch Create Engage through to what's the best platform for running a webinar through to how do you create great content for LinkedIn and everything in between. At Create Engage, this is exactly what we help our clients do and more. But for many startup consulting firms, our retained support is simply not a cost effective option. I've been in your shoes and I know how it feels. You want to use digital marketing, you know it works and you see the results it delivers for others, but you don't know where to start. At this stage in your journey, you have more time than you do money, but you want to make sure that you are investing that time in the right way to deliver return on investment for your business. We are launching our marketing accelerator to do exactly that to give you the strategic advice, the guidance, the support you need at a price that makes it a no-brainer for smaller consulting firms like yours. By joining our accelerator, you will join a network of like-minded consulting entrepreneurs, all focused on growing their businesses. Each cohort will be handpicked to ensure that there is no competitive tensions in the group, giving you the comfort to discuss your challenges openly and learn from your peers. Each month, you will meet with one of our expert team and your fellow Accelerator members for our Accelerator Roundtable, where we will walk through your specific marketing challenges and develop the plan to help you successfully deliver your marketing goals. We'll do this in small, focused groups, letting you get our advice, but also learn from your fellow members and benefiting from hearing the advice we're giving to them to apply to your own business. This isn't the end of the Accelerator, though. Each month, we'll hold a private webinar just for Accelerator members, where we will walk you through everything you need to know and through your top questions, the things that you have asked us to show you. This could be from how to run a great webinar through to how to launch your own industry-leading podcast. We'll also give you our tried and tested systems and templates, everything you need to make your marketing successful. There's a lot in there, but if that wasn't enough, We'll also be bringing every member together into our private LinkedIn community, giving you a place to share your ideas, ask for advice, and learn from each other to help make your marketing better. As this is the first Accelerator program we're running, we're launching January 2021, we are offering all of this for just £750 per month plus VAT with an initial commitment of six months, less than £5,000 to give you everything you need to set your consulting firm up for success. Just imagine, if that helps you secure one project, think about the return on investment and what that could mean for your business. Places are limited, and we have already seen a ton of early interest in this first Accelerator cohort. So, if you want to find out more and apply to be part of our Create Engage Marketing Accelerator, then visit createengage.com co.uk forward slash grow to read everything you need to know about the accelerator fill out the application and we look forward to welcoming you to our first cohort to help you accelerate your business through digital marketing hi and welcome to climate consulting 
In today's episode, I speak to Jeff Dill and Gemma Fister, CEO and executive at Vynamic, the multinational healthcare consultancy with offices in Philadelphia, Boston, Durham, North Carolina, and London here in the UK. I've spoken to a number of guests for this series who've expanded their businesses across the pond, but these have all been firms that have gone from the UK to the US. As such, it was great to speak with Jeff and Gemma and find out how they've successfully managed to make the leap the other way around and learn about the dynamic journey that's led them from a single state operator to the multinational consultancy they are today. Jeff started his career like several of my guests at Accenture. He was persuaded to leave and join a former colleague in the early days of Vynamic, and the rest, as they say, is history. During his time as CEO, he has overseen a number of huge events for the business, including the expansion I just mentioned, turning the business around following the financial crisis, and the sale of Vynamic to UDG Healthcare PLC in 2017. Gemma spent the early part of her career in the US and Germany before coming to the UK to join a global healthcare business that was acquired by UDG. When UDG acquired Vynamic, Gemma was offered the chance to be a part of founding and leading the UK business and leapt at the opportunity. With two guests on today's show, there was a lot to cover and Jeff and Gemma share so many great insights from their journey with Vynamic in today's interview. We cover a whole range of topics in this conversation, including the Vynamic story and what led Jeff and the team to expand beyond one office in the first place, what it's like to take a business into an international market and how to manage the many challenges that come with it, and the importance of culture when growing a consulting business and how Vynamic achieves what they call shared values with a local vibe across their various offices. This was a great conversation with two guests who have so much to offer in the stories they tell and the advice they give. If you are looking to take your consultancy into a new market, or maybe you already have and you're trying to get to grips with how you can bring those different offices together, I know you will get a ton from this conversation. So with all of the intro done, all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and please enjoy today's conversation with Jeff Dill and Gemma Fister. Jeff, Gemma, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So to start with, for those who maybe don't know you so well, it'd be great to get a bit of background on you both, how you got to where you are today. So maybe Jeff, do you want to start and then Gemma, you can go next? Sure. Yeah, I can can kick things off. So yeah, thanks for having us, Nick. My name is Jeff Dill. I'm the CEO of Vynamic. And earlier in my career, I worked at Accenture, large consulting company. And back in 1998, I worked alongside another Accenture consultant by the name of Dan Callista. And Dan became the founder of Vynamic uh, with what he liked to call the world's shortest business plan. And it was based on the letter V, which stood for values and vitality. And he had a belief that there was a better way for consulting and a more sustainable lifestyle for consultants. And I I believed in Dan's vision and also believed we could create something special together. So so after leaving Accenture and joining a former Accenture client of mine, I joined Vynamic back in, uh, in August of 2005. I've been here for a little over 15 years. Fantastic. Well, we were, we're going to dive into all of that, Jeff. And that was a fantastically succinct interest. So thank you very much for that. Gemma, over to you. Thanks so much, Nick. So I guess by way of introduction, the hallmarks really of my career have been rooted in life sciences. 
and um, always seeking to problem solve and, and work through teams. So I started out with biological sciences, BSc and PhD in molecular biology and biochemistry in Northern Ireland. I love traveling and my research then took me out to Southern California in La Jolla, where I had the great experience of really doing some very interesting cancer research. And that was a defining moment for me. And um, I realized that while it was exciting and obviously very relevant to healthcare, I decided research was not my bag and um, I wanted to move into industry. So I left uh, sunny Southern California and I then moved to work industry side. And that's where I got my industry experience in a large diagnostics company based out of Germany, which was great because I got to work on product launch, uh, portfolio planning, and work with a whole load of different multifunctional teams across geographies. And then I moved to England and um, I took up my first role uh, leading teams as part of a vendor, which then subsequently became part of UDG Ashfield, which we'll talk about hopefully in just a second. And it's been quite a journey. And through my career then, I led various teams working with life sciences clients across uh, pharma, biotech, and, and eventually I headed up uh, one of the businesses within Ashfield UDG. And then I had the great opportunity to meet with Jeff and also with Dan back at the end of 2017. And I um, interviewed for Vynamic and was so impressed and overwhelmed by the culture and the opportunity uh, with Vynamic and, and bringing to Vynamic to, to Europe that I joined Vynamic in 2018 as an executive consultant. And here I am ever since. Fantastic. Well, a lot to dig into there as well, Gemma. And I think we're going to spend a lot of today talking about actually how the two of you work together, how the business has grown. And maybe we start, actually, Jeff, you mentioned around the the simple business plan. And I kind of, something that really stuck out for me in, in the Vynamic story was you spent the best part of sort of 10 years, almost a decade, you're very much Philadelphia-based, before going on quite a rapid growth journey. You know, you've now got offices in Boston, London, more recently Durham, and that's Durham in North Carolina, not Durham here in England. I'm going to have to do that a lot and help me as well. My my knowledge of the geography of the States is, is not as good as it should be. But I'd love to start there. I mean, what was it that changed? What led you to go from one state focus to going on that sort of global multinational trail that obviously led to where we are today? And, and Gemma, you joining the business. Sure. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I, as I, we were founded in 2002, and as you mentioned, Nick, we were exclusively Philadelphia focused until only about five years ago. And part of the reason for that was we wanted to ensure that our culture was really strong, and we were we just weren't so sure about geographic expansion, really protective mm-hmm. of the culture. However, we started to see more and more opportunity as we scaled as a business, and also started to get some feedback from the team in terms of interest in geographic expansion, and so. And we actually had one of our longstanding clients uh, move from the Philadelphia area to the Boston area. And that was another inflection point of saying, well, maybe we should should talk to the team about whether they're they're really interested in geographic expansion. So we actually polled the entire team and said, if we were to keep aligned to our values, would would the group be interested in geographic expansion? And we had an overwhelmingly positive response. It kind of surprised us, actually. And we have a statement that we like to say, we will grow for our people, not at the expense of our people. And so that survey really validated that expanding was something that the team wanted to do, right? It had some, you know, we had business success that we could have if we expanded, but from a cultural perspective, the team was excited by it. So we had the opportunity to take our sort of healthy and reimagined approach to consulting on the road to new healthcare hubs. And so we decided to go to Boston. 
Um, and then obviously then we decided once we could prove out that model of geographically expanding and the success we could have and the talent we could acquire and the business we could do and the culture keeping it really strong, that's when we decided to continue to expand beyond. And we knew that once we expanded to a second geography, you go mm. quickly from a single location to national and international because why stop at two, right? You could keep at one, why stop at two? And we decided to continue to expand beyond that and move on to, to London and Durham as well. I'm right that it went London, then Durham. That's right. That's correct. It? So to that point around, it makes sense. One location, you can stay very happy running your business there. To your point, why not expand further after two? Why come all the way over to England and then go back to the States? Sort of, There's part of my brain which would say you'd go state by state, and then when you've done every one, you'd come over here. What was the thinking there? That may have been the more logical choice, but we'll see. We'll dive into that. <laughs> Yeah, so interestingly enough, I mean, this gets a little bit into to Vynamics history and how mm. um, we were acquired by UDG Healthcare back in July of 2017. And through that process, we got a chance to, and, and UDG Healthcare is a, a Dublin-based company with a huge presence in the UK and, and all over the world. But we also got a chance through that process to meet Gemma and mm. uh, her interest in consulting and her background in that. And so through that discussion with Gemma, we decided, well, that's really interesting. Oftentimes, when you think about starting a new location, it could be based on a client that you might know in that location or talent in that location. And meeting Gemma, we felt like we could actually build a London location and work with Gemma and look to expand from there. And so that was the impetus for driving down a London path before we expanded further in the States. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into to broader aspects of the UDG acquisition, but that was the real driver when we got exposed to, to Gemma and thought, you know, this expanding into, into Europe could be really fun. And there's a lot in there that I definitely want us to pick up throughout. You mentioned the UDG acquisition, and I, I think there's so many cultural questions as well about how you add locations and and how you make them feel part of you know part of the business. I guess Gemma, you know, to Jeff's point there, obviously him and the team met you and thought we've got to come to London for you. I, I'd love to almost get your take on on that same period because obviously you were you were part of sort of the UDG group of businesses, so it it wasn't a complete jump for you. But equally, here was a new consulting firm, which you know, any new business is a risk. What was it that led you to sort of this opportunity? And how did you decide that it was it was equally right for you as obviously it was for Jeff and the team? Yeah, so it's a great question. And, you know, for quite some time as I was in UDG Ashfield, it was so clear to me that there was such a gap and an opportunity for us to build out a, a broader management consulting business uh, based in Europe within Ashfield and UDG. So when I heard about the acquisition um, in the summer of 2017, I was probably the happiest person in England because at last I really felt that, you know, it was being put in place. And I I was so excited um, to meet with with Jeff and, and with Dan and, and really hear more about Vynamic. And, and when I traveled over to Philadelphia at the time to meet with folks, I was literally overwhelmed and massively impressed by everyone's engagement. Uh, the, the culture of the team was just like nothing I'd ever experienced in a consulting uh, landscape previously. And, you know, for me, um, in just a very, very short space of time, I just felt that this would be the place where I could really help build out the European presence for, for Vynamic. And it's just been a tremendous journey overall. And, and I'm so pleased that that was such a, a landmark time, not only for Vynamic to start 
start to think about this broader global mindset, but also uh, more broadly for me uh, as, a, as an opportunity to develop and to learn. So while it might have seemed like it was just a sideways move, it was a really phenomenal and transformational um, experience. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a great journey so far and, and we've made tremendous progress in such a short amount of time. Fantastic. Well, I, I, I love the energy. You know, it's, it's obvious this has worked so well for, for, well, for both of you, but for all of you as a, a company. And I, I guess just for any listeners, Gemma, who are, who are either in this position or thinking about, I guess, a similar career path. So some, you know, they potentially have been approached by a consulting firm from another country to start that sort of UK outpost. I just, were there any questions you asked yourself? You know, obviously it sounds like you had an amazing interview process. You had you, that great experience. Sort of, were there any questions you asked yourself before saying yes, just in terms of, is this right for me? How do I make sure it's, it's a good fit for me? Was there anything? And if so, what were they just to help anyone who's in a similar position? Yeah, sure. So obviously with a base originally in America, right, the first question I asked uh, myself and, and when I spoke with, with Jeff was, you know, how committed are you to build out beyond the US? And, and you know, is, is this something that you really have a vision for? Mm. And, um, by, by having that conversation, it was so apparent to me that this was something where such an entrepreneurial company like Vynamic really had thought through, right? So Vynamic does things in a very uh, brave way, but also very thoughtful and considered way. Mm. So I guess I needed, Nick, that reassurance um, that this was something that, you know, had been thought through and, and there was an enduring commitment to. And, and I certainly felt that through the conversations I had naturally, you know, with 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 building out a team there, one of my other questions was, well, you know, are we go- or do we have the right experience to enable us to start to scale that team, right? In terms of process, in terms of the support and the infrastructure, et cetera. So little by little, we unpacked all of and we identified, you know, what were going to be the key priorities that we put in place. And again, it was clear to me that there was a, a definite openness and thoughtfulness to work together and collaborate across the business to start to put those initial building blocks in place. And that gave me huge energy, huge excitement, and, and also trust, right, in the commitment from the company. So those are probably the two main things um, that went through my mind overall. Some great points. And I, I think, Jeff, I'd, I'd love to to get your take on that point that Gemma made around the thoughtfulness and the thoughtful nature of how you'd, you'd structured this. Because I think something that stuck with me when when we first spoke and we were sort of talking ahead of this interview is, as you mentioned, you, you learned to, more in the last two years with, you know, the, the sort of expansion than you had in you know, your, your whole consulting career before. And I, I may have paraphrased that wrongly, but I'd love to get your take on sort of how you created that thoughtful approach. What were the steps you took so that when Gemma came for that conversation, she could see all of those foundations were in place and everything was there to set her and the team up for success. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's so many uh, nuances as you expand geographically. And I think you did you paraphrased it pretty well. I have learned a lot in the last few years. And I've really enjoyed the process of expanding to a new country. And, and I've learned a ton. I think there's, you know, the biggest thing is being open-minded and listening, right? And so there's nuances of the healthcare market from the UK to the US. There's political influences are different. Um, employment arrangements are different. I learned a ton through that process. Benefits that resonate most with different candidates in different geographies. Uh, recruiting. A lot of our historical aspect of Dynamic was the ability to recruit through referrals and people that knew other people or had worked with people. As you expand, you have to expand beyond that a bit. So we had to look into recruiting agencies and what might be the best fit for us. Office space and office space location. That's a really interesting factor. And you want to make sure that you've got that right local vibe 
uh, within the within the new geography. Uh, we ended up choosing Chiswick as our location. It's close to Heathrow and had a great vibe and around a lot of healthcare companies. There's the time difference, right? And so you've got to think everything you do. You have to think with a global mindset. Now we used to have, when we expanded to Boston, we said, all right, we're we have shared values and we have a local vibe and we have this multi-location mindset. We had to take that multi-location mindset and actually make it a global mindset. That was a big shift for us. And everything to think through, like, let's not make sure I'm not doing this from a Philadelphia lens. I need to do it from a all four location lens, including an entirely uh, different geography and country like the UK. So it's, it's been a really fun journey and I've learned a ton. And I'd love to spend some time on all of those bits. And, and the reason for this is I've had other guests on the show and I've spoken to other other consulting leaders who have gone the other way. They've gone from the UK to the US and they comment about how you know, those differences are actually much bigger than you think. I, I, I'm stealing someone else's quote, but I, there's a famous quote of, you know, we're two countries separated by the same language. And a lot of those nuances are really important in business and particularly in consulting. I what of those, and you might say all of them, but if, if you had to pick one or I'll give you maybe two, what were the biggest sort of shifts in that jump to the UK that you really had to change that, you know, that approach to give you that local vibe? I think you said local vibe, sort of shared values. What were those biggest shifts and what were the things that really caught you out so that anyone listening to this can think that's what I should be doing if I'm doing the same? Yeah, it's interesting to hear what you're saying because I actually found there was a lot more similarities than differences, right? If, if you're... Um, the shared values piece, you know, we we spent a lot of time uh, recruiting the right talent. Obviously, Gemma was a huge part of that. Another thing that we found to be extremely helpful was to actually take one of our U.S.-based team members and give the option to uh, relocate to the U.K. to help bridge some of that early culture and expansion and the mindset and dynamic. And it's sometimes hard to like know exactly all the history of dynamic unless you've kind of lived it. And so. We had a team member by the name of Michael Hudson who actually did a sort of two-year secondment to the UK and was alongside Gemma for the entire ride. And as we expanded and recruited the right uh, set of team members, that just built upon itself, right? And then you know you have to be really, really deliberate about who you're hiring early on too. You want to find that right talent, those people that have that entrepreneurial spirit. They know they're part of a larger company, but it's it's an entrepreneurial journey when you're starting a new location, and so. Mm. I couldn't be happier with how deliberate we've been through the hiring process because we've got a now a team of 10 in London that are are phenomenal and you've got a base there now to scale further. Uh, so so I, I outlined some of the challenges, but I've actually found like really as long as you're deliberate and you're growing all in the right ways and you're thinking about the culture and and what type of people you want to hire and deliberate about the business and uh, I found that it's kind of worked really well. And you just you, you can't move move too fast for just pace sake. You have to really be deliberate about each and every step. Yeah, I completely concur, Jeff. And I think one of the things that really has driven our success is how the, the culture has been the glue throughout, right? So it's it starts at that recruitment process, right? The conversations and the discussions that we have about Dynamics culture. So we know that we're really hiring top talent who 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 really want to be part of Dynamic. The all the other piece I think that um, I think has helped across the cultural divide and similarities is that we've invested time in getting to know each other up front, right? That, and that's really paid off. And, you know, acknowledging too that we won't get it right all of the time. You know, we're learning 
um, about each other and, and, you know, being respectful and, and mindful of and, and celebrating different experiences and perspectives. So that, that really is something that I think helps us, you know, feel connected, irrespective of, of where we are across the dynamic hubs. And, you know, on top of that, there's the fun part. You know, um, I certainly have learned a lot of new phrases and words, and we, we have some fun in celebrating some of those language differences. For example, I have learned that um, being called a beast is actually something amazing <laughs> and i actually had to, to look it up um because that's i right. wondered Gemma, whether... you, you know my you know my favorite word now too fortnightly like i we always talk about right that's my new fit that's i love scheduling meetings that are fortnightly now because i just want to yeah. say that so yeah right and sometimes we have some teams that work both sides of the pond and some teams actually keep like a lingo the british lingo and the u.s lingo register so it's it's all great and all part of the the, the global mindset and the culture I love that. And maybe after this, we can see what else is on the lingo lingo list. That obviously is the sort of culmination of a lot of things you do. And Gemma, you, you mentioned there around spending that time up front, getting to know each other. Is How is the leaders of the business? Do you... Do you create that culture? Because you know, when I, I sort of when I was in consulting, I saw companies who they could be in the same building and just two floors. They could because they don't speak to each other. You know, you get rivalries. You get he said, she said. Obviously, this is something you've successfully overcome, and you're you know in different different continents. What are some of those deliberate steps you've taken to to help to get to know each other, and not just at your level, but but for the team, so they you know they get they get to the point where they they're enjoying the things you've talked about. Yeah, Nick, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the the culture and some of the foundations, and then Gemma mm. definitely chime in. I think that, you know, for us, it, it, culture has been a huge foundational aspect of the company overall. So, you know, it's important as a company to have a set of values that everyone believes in, and they really do mean something. Mm. So, you know, we're very focused on the team member as the first priority. It's actually not the client, could be controversial. I think clients are extremely important, but I find that when you take care of your team, they mm. will take care and surprise and delight clients, right? I think that's a uh, for us, that's been true throughout our entire history. And and for us, early on in our in our company's history, we were really deliberate about articulating what we call our dynamic vitals. And that's that's really what's vitally important to our company from a culture standpoint, also a play on the healthcare industry with your vital signs. And that includes our purpose, it includes our vision. We have our set of values, and then we have a set of behaviors that we look to have exhibited throughout the the entire company. It's we call them our I am commitments. And they could be things like I'm a member of a structured yet non-hierarchical team. I'm in control of where I work and what I do. I am having fun at work. It could be as simple as that. And you hold each other accountable. Hey, you feel like you're having fun today? If not, let's make sure you add some fun into the day. And, And to make sure that culture is really embedded in the entire company, I've always loved the term cultural processes. It feels like an interesting term, but it's something like your values and behaviors, how do you make them scalable and repeatable? So whether it's the special things we do around orientation or staffing or company meetings, we want to make sure that we focus on them and continuously make them better. And I love the phrase that culture is a function of commitment, not of size. So mm-hmm. you got to commit to it. As leaders, we have to commit to it. And everyone in the team is, is committed to it. And that helps to build the foundation for a healthy organization. Right. And I would add, and role modeling it, yeah, throughout everything that we do and creating and empowering opportunities for others to do that. I think that's one of the key things from a hub perspective that's really critical, creating that environment where all team members have the opportunity to do things that really light their passion, right? And that they can ultimately grow and lead in the future. I love the uh, dynamic vitals and the, the I am commitments. And it, it also, it, was, it answers a question I'd, I had from your website. Because I, I I know you put those on the website with each of the the team members, and maybe to that point, because the the really interesting thing with all of 
all elements like this is you've got to keep evolving them. And Gemma, to your point, you've got to keep role modeling them. And I'd love to actually to dig into how you've kept that core to the business as you've grown, because it's one thing to do that when you're five people, then 10 people, but you know, you're coming up to 200. How have you scaled that as you've grown the business, Jeff? And then obviously, Gemma, as you've sort of built out the London team, made sure that that's aligned um, and sort of all together with the, the broader company as a whole. I think part of Gemma alluded to this. Part of it is it is team involvement. You know, we have we have councils across the company, like a recruiting council or a diversity and inclusion council. We have a strategic planning process that incorporates everyone's thoughts. You know, it needs to be inclusive, and so everyone's involved in the culture. It's it's the culture is not owned by me. It's not owned by Gemma. It's not owned by other leaders. It's owned by the entire company, and so that's been a, a really really big way in terms of kind of scaling the culture and making sure everyone is kind of bought in. And you know, we we had a, a strategic priority last year that was really about a refresh of the vitals. And what that did is we actually ended up not changing much. We tweaked a few words here and a few phrases. We added the I am commitment, I am having fun at work. That was one of my favorites. But it was really about engaging the whole company throughout the entire year to actually just test it. Hey, what do, you, do we think the vision still resonates? And even though we ended up not changing a lot, it was, a, it was an entire refresh for the entire company to be, get engaged in every aspect of the culture. It's a huge part of our orientation. We have a new group of consultants starting next week with the company. I'll be sitting down with them as a portion of the orientation to talk about the vitals and going through each and every part of it and asking them how it resonates with them and what are they feeling most at this point in time as they're joining the company? What value resonates most with them? So it's got to be, it's got to drive your decision making and be a part of everything you do. And from a, a hub perspective, you know, everybody who joins Finamic goes uh, through that orientation, hears all about the culture and, and how committed the company is to the culture. And then at a local level, what we have done is set up a growth and experience team where essentially uh, team members within London, for example, um, have the opportunity to really uh, drive areas that are important for us as we grow and scale locally. And that includes, of course, the culture. It includes things like uh, diversity and inclusion, being healthy at work. Um, so again, that really helps us make sure that we are living all those vitals um, within the London team as we grow and scale. And I should have asked this, I guess, to, and Jeff, the answer might just be everything we've spoken about. But we talked about actually you've, you've not just grown here in the UK. And I I, you know, I need to remember, firstly, we, I have listeners all over the world. Um, not many, by the way. I'm you know, I'm not trying to big myself up. But equally, yeah, I'm, I'm conscious that obviously sort of a large portion of your business is in the US. And actually, you know, we're talking about the US and the UK. But have those challenges been the same, you know, going from one state to the other and if not, were there any different challenges that maybe you know we don't recognise or myself having coming from a UK centric perspective that actually were you know different or because they were at a different time in your journey more challenging and things you had to learn from as a result? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you know it, it's probably worth you know thinking about our different locations. I think clearly there were some unique challenges with the second location. Anytime you're doing you're expanding for the first time, so. We were learning all aspects of geographic expansion really on the fly, right, when we were expanding to Boston. And so since then, we've taken a lot of those lessons learned and we have something that we've created called a, a local market implementation playbook where it's like, you know, we're, we're good consultants. We love process. We love figuring out complex problems. We had a complex problem when we were expanding to, to Boston and so many things went well, but so many lessons learned. And so we've tried to take a lot of that and bake them into the expansion uh, to London and now to, to Durham. So that was a clear difference in terms of just doing it for the first time. 
And then other than that, though, now as I think about further geographic expansion, I wouldn't say there's anything different or an addition when we're expanding to further geographies within the states. I think there's some nuance to that we talked about, nuance challenges of going to a new country, right? That that does have its challenges. So it's like the first one in Boston and then a new country both had their their new and interesting challenges. Because you've you've teed me up for it, I've got to ask about the playbook. And and I don't want to blow by blow because you know we we probably don't have long enough, but I what are those top three things on there? And and is there anything that is in that playbook that you probably most people wouldn't expect to be, but you found has been either really beneficial or saved, you know, avoided a really big issue that you'd seen in the past. Sure. Yeah. You really have to break down every function of your business and think about what you might want to do differently. So we have a series of steps across things like business development or marketing or finance or talent acquisition, right? If you think about every major function of your business, you've got to look through that lens and say, can I duplicate that? Can I do that the same way as I'm going to a new state or a new geography, a new country? And in many cases, you're going to look through those set of steps that we outlined and say, hmm, this is going to be different in this case because we have to recruit a little differently. Or, you know, our our processes around finance are going to have to take into account a different currency. Okay, let's, let's talk about different currencies and how we're going to approach that. And does that require some system changes you might need to do to, to approach that? So really breaking down every single function and and uh, I'll have to share the, the full glory of the document with you offline. That's for sure. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see it. And I think there's some really interesting parts in there. And, and maybe this was smoothed by Gemma joining and, and providing that, that local perspective. But actually, how did you learn what you needed to about some of the, take, take the UK for, the, for this one, you know, some of those local nuances? Was it, Gemma, that you, sort of, you and Jeff got together and you know, went blow by blow, what's the same, what's different? Did you, Jeff, is, is there sort of a, a different approach you took? I'm just fascinated for anyone who's on the cusp of doing a similar move, how you learned that, or did you just come over here and, and figure it out along the way? Yeah, maybe I'll make a quick comment and then Gemma, definitely definitely chime in because a lot of it was a partnership between, you know, like I said, you have to go in open-minded and with a humble approach and recognize there's things that you know and things that you don't know. And so uh, for us, in addition to myself and others that were involved, I do think the combination early on of Michael Hudson going over and spending two years there and having Gemma as a core leader, the two of them actually sharing a lot of ideas and details. And Gemma was bringing a lot of that local local market perspective and context and things that were just blind spots that we didn't know about, right? And then obviously there was a number of other steps involved, but that was a core foundation of it. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. And I think the other thing that was key was the piece around that early learning with the talent acquisition and management team around what it's like to recruit in the UK versus in the US, right? So some things that we might not even think about, like, you know, the run-in time to hiring folks here versus in the US is much longer. So what does that mean for our process? What does that mean for our forecast for growth, et cetera? Um, you know, thinking about the contractual pieces, contract of employment versus what that looks like for offer letters and what have you in the UK. Even the language that we use is very, very different. So again, it was very much a partnership and collaborative approach where we kind of shortlisted the key things that we felt we needed to unpack first and just went in a stepwise learning approach, really. 
Um, but one thing I will call out as being really key to our success was the support that we've had from the functional leadership team in Philadelphia, right? Because we weren't standing that up locally. And I think this kind of hub and spoke approach that we've had has been so successful in just supporting us and really helping us propagate all that's great about Vynamic and then tailor it right from a, to a local market. So yeah, it's it's been massively collaborative and a, and a learning process, as Jeff has said. Yeah, and those those early hires as well, right? So it's one thing I referenced, you know, Michael and Gemma, and then when you're hiring those early team members, right? They're they're talented consultants that are joining a new company, but um, the entrepreneurial spirit that they show and and interested in getting involved in building a business as well as doing consulting work. So um, Adrian Mucco was was one of our early hires in London, and so um, he loved doing his consulting work. But he was like, all right, let me take a shot at the employment agreement, or let's talk about benefits, right? And so everyone, every new hire building upon the scale and, and providing more and more input to some of those local context things that we just needed to learn along the way. There's a really interesting point in there, Jeff, and I think you've teed me up nicely for it. So I'd love to find out how how this worked. And Gemma, I'm sure you, you'll have sort of a really good perspective on this, obviously hiring these people on the ground, so to speak, is you know, Finamics obviously a, a large consulting firm, but when it started here in the UK, you, you obviously had a big firm behind you in, in UDG, but as an as a name, it you weren't you know, weren't that well known over here, I suspect. And so actually, how did you go about in those early days you know, finding talent and also encouraging them to join and positioning the firm to that point you know, with that entrepreneurial mindset, but I guess the support of the rest of the company? I'd just be fascinated, again, for, uh, when someone's looking for a role, any, you know, people listening to this, they know the big names over here or they'll know the big names in, you know, in their relevant state. Actually, how did you position Vynamic to get you that talent, to give you the springboard to the success you've had? Yeah, I, I can start. There was certainly some networking that happened early on, right, where we we did have a connection with some folks and had some discussions and looking to kind of build our our name a bit. But it, but we did leverage recruiting agencies really heavily. And, we, and, and part of that was a journey of finding the right ones that understood what our value proposition was, that had a focus more from a management consulting perspective that could tell our story a bit, right, and at least make the intros to us to start to to build the brand a bit more. And so that was really, really important. And it took us some time to hone out on what those right agencies were. And then ultimately it's having, you know, it's finding those folks that are at those points in their career where they're looking maybe for the next challenge. Maybe they, maybe they have been at a large consulting company and they, they want a, a different and a better way. Maybe they feel they've, they've been like a number for a while and they want to have more empowerment and individual um, aspects of their job. And so, uh, just basically, that's an ability to, you know, once someone might express some interest, it's it's really just having a candid and transparent conversation about what, what's our culture all about? What's the future vision of Vynamic? How do we fit within the larger UDG organization? How is Vynamic thinking about a broader geographic? Because obviously, when it's when it's part of a larger company, obviously, Vynamic's been around since 2002. UDG is a large organization. So from a risk perspective, it's it's not a, it's not a big risk. But But understanding you're joining an entity that's not that well known in a specific geography, some people might look at that and say, mm, that's not for me. That feels a little bit too entrepreneurial. Others might get so excited about it, right? And those are the people that we actually want to join the company because they're looking to help build a, a new office location, a new healthcare hub, start to take some of our services that we do across the healthcare industry and spread them worldwide. That's part of our goal is to, to go into new geography. So when you can, you can see that spark and you can see there's that similarity on the other side of the desk when in an interview, you're like, okay. Now we start to go back and forth and figure out this is the right fit. 
Yeah. And in addition to really being thoughtful about who we were targeting as, as candidates and helping educate those recruiting agencies, one of the things we did a lot in the early days was really listen and learn from the questions that were coming back from candidates as part of those early discussions, right? And then tailoring how we were communicating about uh, Vynamic. Because you're right, Nick, you know, Vynamic is a name not known here previously, right? So, and that actually, and how, how that fits with recruiting was one of our biggest challenges uh, at the start. So working with uh, the marketing team, with also the talent management team and the recruiting agency, we were learning and learning fast. And the strategic hires that we we got in the first instance were absolutely critical then to set us on a, on a good course to then start to build out the team. So it's been definitely a team effort um, overall where we feel we've learned a lot in the space of, of two short years. I love that point, Gemma, and I, I guess it's it's one of those things that sounds sounds really obvious, but so few people do is actually you know, with anything in life. If you listen, you'll hear. And to your point around the candidates, I think that's a a great great takeaway of actually just learning and adapting how you position that you know that proposition. And Jeff, as you said, the sort of the entrepreneurial side of the business. I think to that two short years piece, and I'm going to going to go way back, and then we'll come way forward. And it's because Vynamics now been through two big recessions, if you like. I think we're currently in one. We've been through a previous one. And I guess, Jeff, starting, we'll, we'll start with the previous one. Because again, fact check me on this if I'm, I'm wrong. But my understanding is sort of in the sort of 2008, 2009 period, you took a massive dip. You know, we're talking 50% of revenue pretty much overnight. I think it was sort of 60 days was what I'd read. So again, fact check me at any of these points. But how did you turn that around? Because we're in the next one. Others will be suffering with this challenge. Talk me through that period. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I can give you some of the background and context. So we were, you know, again, we're a, a team at Dynamic of 175 plus people now. So we've grown a significant amount. But back in the 2008-2009 period, we were somewhere in the 30 to 35 people range. And uh, our company was going really well. And in addition to the, to the financial recession, what happened was we were actually in line for some really interesting work. One of our big clients was going to merge with another company. And there were consulting companies lined up at the door to get some great integration work. And and so we were, we were there and we were like, oh my God, we're not going to be able to hire fast enough. And then at the last minute, the deal fell through and all the consultants, not just Dynamic, but other consultants had to kind of roll, roll out the door. And we had a large percentage of our business at, at the time at that specific client. And then, so you take that in the middle of a financial crisis and we said, okay, we have half our team now that's unstaffed. This is interesting. Uh, a good scale point. What do, what do we do? And we got the team of 30 or so all together. And really focused on a couple of things. One was our relationships and reaching out to contacts about support they need. But it, it became it actually that year ended up becoming the most amount of new clients we were to win over a, a five-year stretch. And it proved to me the phrase I like to use is that talent wins, right? If, if you have the right people, no matter what time you're going through, and you can anchor on uh, exceptional talent and create an environment where they can thrive, that will ultimately drive you to success. So in the end, it actually became we had half the team almost roll off of our large client. Maybe we weren't diversified enough. All of a sudden, it became like, boom, diversity. And we were in six or seven new clients at a team of 30 or 35. And that was actually that actually became one of the best things for us as it propelled us forward for a healthy and diverse scale. So talent wins would be my kind of key message from, uh, from that story early on. I think there's it's a great message, and you know, that point of actually getting everyone involved. I, I feel there's a sense you know, from everything you've both said on the dynamic story is that getting the team involved has really helped throughout. And obviously, there you were highlighting the sort of getting everyone on the BD trail, hitting the phones, networking. Obviously, turn that round, and it's a different recession now. It's a different time, but 
how are you you both managing this current period with all of you know i'm sure the the uncertainty the challenges questions from the team how are you approaching that to to give everyone the the confidence and comfort they need at a difficult time like this yeah i'll, I'll give a couple context points and then Gemma definitely jump in i think that yeah, this is it's a really uh, fascinating time we're living in right now and lots of challenges everyone's facing. And now we're obviously into the fall and uh, unsure of how things are going to trend into into winter. And no one's really sure. Right. And so um, we we still currently have our office locations closed. Um, we have sort of an open no sooner than January date right now. We're going to reevaluate and see how the, the winter time goes. So we're supporting our clients remotely. That's a that's a unique challenge that we haven't done in the past. And uh, I do. I feel very fortunate that we've been able to continue to partner with our clients during this time. So business is strong at Dynamic, and there are, you know, many changes within healthcare that we're supporting. You know, a big part of our business is helping clients with change. That could be with the strategy or operations or their culture. And COVID nineteen has certainly created a lot of changes that were uh, that are upon our clients, and uh, they're reaching out to us to to pivot some of the services we might have provided and do so more from a COVID perspective. So. Business is great, but uh, obviously everyone's personal lives are struggling a bit, right? You're you're caught up at home, or um, you have young children, and we're just trying to figure out all aspects of uh, of ways where we can support the team in the best way possible. So it's again, it's everything through a team lens, like and listening back to what Gemma said, and what does the team need right now, and how do we provide that to enable them as best we can to you know thrive within their day to day lives, and also you know support our clients as best they can. Right, Jeff. And, you know, thinking from a London perspective specifically, next week, for example, through the GET, the growth and experience team, we're going to talk about how we're all feeling, right, knowing we've got another spike um, going on in, in the UK mm. here, and just check in on each other and just see how, how we're managing practically. Is there anything that we can do to support each other? Is there anything that we might need more broadly across Dynamic? So just talking about it and making sure that we're checking in and being mindful of where we are and being realistic, right? So again, it's very much thinking about how we're, we're stronger together through this and, and not assuming that we're all okay. Right. So, but again, I think it goes back to our culture of just having that team mindset and supportive it's, network. Yeah, it's kind of bringing, you know, we're, we're definitely encouraging people, right? Like, I want to be an organization where you can bring your full self to work every day, right? Be transparent. So I'm, I love when we have all company Zooms where, you know, kids are on, you know, parents' laps and dogs are running around or whatever the case is, right? That's never before in history has have work and life been so tricky and integrated, right? And so you got to embrace that. You got to know that how do team members set the right boundaries for themselves? How do you allow them to, to basically be as kind of all in as possible on both their personal life, but also with work and let people, you know, basically the big thing about balance is it should be okay to talk about balance and how people need and, and everyone has different needs too, right? You have to drive your own balance and make that clear to the people that you're working with. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, Gemma, your example there from, from the get, I'd love to just get really practical on this because this obviously will be going out November time. So as in 2020, so we'll still be in the middle of this. You know, Gemma, like you said, we're, we're waiting right now for government guidance on whether we'll be allowed to go out or stay in. I'd love for any other listeners running you know, firms similar size yours or even those smaller where they've just got large teams spread across you know, either one country or more. What are some of those things you're doing at a day-to-day level to really keep that going? Because I think it's it can be very 
easy, not deliberate, and I'm not saying this is the case for yourselves, but I can imagine when you've got a, a team your size, it can be very easy for some people to feel or or get lost because they're not seen in the office. They're not at the company drink. How have you created that culture, but remotely? Yeah, maybe we can use a couple examples and we can kind of go back and forth a bit, right? So so first, you know, any aspect of our culture, we, we, we often call ourselves like an event-based culture, right? So it's company meetings or different account events and that's part of what makes things really fun at Dynamic. That is hard to translate to a virtual environment, right? Because you want to balance, you want to make sure it's what the team wants. So virtual happy hours and account events and getting really creative with the account events. Like we've hired, you know, for cooking classes or make your own pizza or other aspects where it's not just about getting on a call for a virtual happy hour. It might be some event that's wrapped into that. That might be able to include your spouse or partner or your family as well. So trying to make that, again, inclusive to your family versus just more Zoom time, right? So that's, that's one example. Um, Gemma, anything else that comes to your mind from a broader cultural perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to the events, uh, which are both across Dynamic and also across accounts and, and within specific hubs, there are other opportunities as well, including things around being healthy. So at the present time within the London team, um, we've got a 21-day challenge for team members who wanted to be part of it, where it's all about fitness and just thinking about being healthy, especially during this time of the pandemic. So I think not only through the social and formal pieces, we're also connecting across uh, Dynamic and across the hubs via these uh, different activities that we've got around health and care and really taking care of each other and our families at this time. So there's lots going on. Yeah, we have we have some great wellness resources from, uh, we have a, a program that we call, it's called Health and Care. It's kind of play on the health healthcare word, but it's, it's all aspects of um, kind of a wellness strategy. We have uh, resources that we use externally um, from a wellness strategy perspective and as Gemma mentioned, in addition to that challenge in London, we have an overall company service that we're trying to provide, which is uh, uh, team members can take advantage of. It's basically one-on-one -on -one coaching for an eight-week period. We had 24 initial people sign up in the company, and it was an eight-week process, and they had you know check-ins with this wellness strategist. And some people focused more on physical because they felt like, I'm, I'm cooped up. I need more exercise. Some people focused more on stress or sleep, mindset, right? There, there could be different aspects of something somebody's struggling with during this time and bringing the right resources to bear and the right focus on it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, and Nick, you, you asked previously about connecting across Dynamic, right? And, and how we get, you know, as we scale, how we still remain connected. You know, that initiative that uh, Jeff referred to, there were London team members who were involved in that, and they are just raving about how amazing it's been, not only for them themselves personally, right, versus their goals, but also that they've got to connect with others across Dynamic. So it's got so much of uh, a focus, not only in the health and care, but also that cultural connection. I want to ask about all of those. So I, I firstly, I love, by the way, the the family and, and that point of bringing the whole team together with their families. Because I think, you know, Jeff, to the point you made, the, the current world has really blurred that boundary. And I think as long as the balance is right in a very nice way, I, I really personally like being able to see people's houses. I think it's you get so much more of them as people. I'd love to to find out more about the, the genesis of, of that health and care. And just to, to sort of preempt this a bit, I, I'm a massive believer in what you've said. And I maybe because I just can't do much. I can't do much of this, but I, I really like sport. So I think I take a lot from sport. And I think in sport, you do get, you know, elite athletes get physio, they get nutritionists, et cetera. Consultants are people working extremely hard you know, at the top of their field. And not many firms offer 
things like that. And I'd love to dig into where that came from in terms of offering that that eight-week program, and then also some of the benefits you've seen, because I think it sounds like it must be really valuable. I'd love to understand where it came from and the results from it. All right, Nick, I'm going to try not to go on for hours here, so make sure you cut (laughs) me off. It's all right, Jeff. We've got plenty of time. I'd, I'd love to find out. Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of the context history and then also some of the more interesting programs going on now. So so we did have, as as part of our overall company goal and purpose, right, that kind of we believe there's a better way for consulting, we also articulated our, our vision for Vynamic. And our vision is to be, it's a bold vision, to be the healthiest company in the world. And the definition for us of healthy is our five values added up to one another. So it's not just about push-ups and sit-ups. It's about our values. And if we feel like we're all living out our values and those I am commitments I mentioned, then you're going to be a healthy individual. And we want a collection of healthy people that are thriving. And so when we thought about that, we had a team member by the name of Laura Pappas, who a long time ago, this is probably, I don't know, almost 10 years ago, where where she had expressed an interest of, of with, aligned to our vision of actually maybe having a dedicated role at, at Dynamic that was focused on health and care. And we said, well, that's actually really interesting, right? If, if we didn't have our vision aligned and our vital set, maybe we wouldn't know that's what we should be investing in. But we decided we absolutely should be investing in that because that's totally aligned to who we are. So she took an internal role for a number of years and helped to build out a ton of our programs. Since then, she had a desire to go back into consulting. So she's actually a consultant at one of our large life sciences clients now, and a woman by the name of Melissa Marsili is our health and care lead. And she's doing a great job of taking it to the next level. So that's a little bit of the context and history. And then in terms of the programs, they're basically, our health and care programs are designed to to really allow every team member to customize a plan that works for them because everyone's health journey is unique. So you know, an example is we have a, one of our values in action. We have a choose your own community adventure program. We, it's CYOCA. And it's, a, it's the choose your own community adventure program allows team members to select an organization to devote an hour of their time. And Dynamic will donate on their behalf. And we also have Dynamic supports team members, you know, competing in races by offering reimbursements for sort of the bibs to, to get into the races. And if it, but you have to do a race with another team member. So it, it, it creates that kind of team-based environment. So you know, we had 15 team members, you know, compete at a at a race pre-COVID and, you know, they're getting some training in together, excited to have team support on race day. So those are just a couple of examples of things that because it's aligned to our vision to be the healthiest company in the world, we, we're going to invest all in on it. That sounds brilliant. And I mean, it, it, it sounds obvious from your success, but just for anyone listening who may be skeptical, because I'm sure there will be, what are the benefits you've seen? What are those results actually from from giving those programs to your team members that, that you've seen, not just for your people, but for your business as a whole? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I th- I, for me, I think about two results. One is having a more engaged and happier team, right? So that that feels like it's the right thing to do. So that that feels good as a leader that allows me to sleep at night. I feel like I'm doing right by the team. The second is that it absolutely drives better results and generates ROI. It generates return on investment. So there's studies out there. A more engaged team will do better consulting work for your clients. So the type of culture that we have is also our business strategy, right? It's all self-fulfilling. So it works for both team members, feels like the right thing to do, and it drives business. I love it, Jeff. And say so it's... I think it's something not enough people do. So it's, it's a much smaller example, but we have a you know, we have a monthly physio who comes in, and it's the physical side, not the mental. But I subscribe to exactly the same view. If people feel great, they're happy, and if they're happy, they'll do great work. And it just it, it's a self fulfilling prophecy, if you like. I could spend all afternoon on this, but I know we haven't got all afternoon. And I want to turn to another key part in the story. And we we started with this, and obviously it's it's Gemma where where you came on board and and sort of what led to 
to obviously the success you're having in London now is is the dynamic acquisition. And this is always an interesting part of any any consulting firm's journey. And, and I guess, Jeff, starting with yourself, I mean, could you explain a bit more about how that came about and sort of talk through that process, both in terms of actually, did UDG come to you? Did you go to them? But also actually the selection process to decide it was the right match for Vynamic and for the goals you had for the business. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so some of the background, so our founder and uh, former CEO and I had been approached you know, over the years by different businesses interested in acquiring us. That's probably common. And we were, we were growing at a good pace and successful and but none of them made a lot of sense to us. But then after talking to UDG Healthcare, their circumstances felt different. You know, and, and for us, as many companies scale, you're looking for the resources for a lot of peace of mind, right? This could be shared services such as legal to financial resources for expansion and access to a huge set of global resources and, and network from a business development perspective. So that was interesting to us. And on, on the other hand, though, we did want to retain the dynamic brand and our independence and so we were, we were looking to find a partner that could offer that, what we, what we had called the best of both worlds. That was our goal. And so we, we talked to UDG Healthcare at a really interesting time for them as well. They were going through a really significant transition and had just sold off the 75-year-old legacy portion of their drug distribution business to, to McKesson for a, a large sum of money. And so they were looking to transform from what they call like a demand distribution business to a demand generation business, right? Not demand fulfillment, but demand generation. So they were going all in on services, services side of things. And so they had made some really inter- interesting acquisitions starting all the way back to 2000 to evolve to that services focus. And however, we were gonna be their first management consulting acquisition, their first true consulting acquisition. So they have some really impressive services from a, an Ashfield perspective in the world of commercial and patient solutions. So they have Think about in in the world of life sciences, contracted sales reps or nurse educators, call center resources, meetings and events types resources. And they also have a robust set of communications businesses as well, from from medcoms, medical communications to full service agencies. So what they did is they decided after doing some, some analysis to complete their portfolio, they wanted an advisory division. And so... Oh, you know, fast forward three years from when we were acquired, we're now one of four businesses in an exciting Ashfield advisory business. And that includes uh, companies such as Putnam Associates and Smart Analyst and STEM Healthcare and, and ourselves. And it's an exciting ecosystem of advisory businesses where I see the ability to be independent, but also to be deliberate about collaboration and opportunities where I'm seeing from this ecosystem where the whole can absolutely be greater than the sum of its parts. So that was really intriguing when three years ago thinking, wow, they're going to start this Asheville advisory group. And could we actually put our stamp on it? Can it actually build upon the entrepreneurial nature of who we're all about and help grow in a different and unique way? Um, so that's that's the context there. As far as your other question about what to look for, for us personally, it, it had to be a complementary fit right, versus an overlap. I, I I liked that we were a very strategic acquisition that um, they were starting something new versus just a scale type acquisition, right? The, and and it had to be the people too. I, I vividly remember when uh, Dan and I were meeting with UDG leadership for the first time as part of the process pre-acquisition. And the CFO of the, of the overall UDG had a ton of questions for us about culture. And I said, well, this is a really good sign, right? He hasn't talked about numbers at all. He's talking about culture. I said, well, maybe you know, these are these are some really smart, well-intentioned people that are obviously going through a big transformation and we could be a part of that. And so uh, so I was excited about the journey. Fantastic. No, really good. And and it's funny, that culture point, 
it actually everyone I've spoken to about doing a deal that has worked like this, it, it's always been the culture, not, you know, rarely is it the number, it's actually will the business thrive within that group. And to that point around the, the Ashfield Advisory Group, you know, over those three years, and, and Gemma, the same to you as the time you've been in, involved in in the business, I'd, I'd love to understand how you've made that relationship work. Because again, you know, from others I've heard, there can be challenging times when you bring four different consulting firms or advisory firms together with different cultures, different views on how things have been should be done. How have you managed to to strike that what sounds like a you know an almost a perfect balance of keeping the dynamic culture while working very well with the rest of the group? Yeah, I can I can start here. So, you know, change is hard, right? And we we advise our clients on a lot of change, but when it's for yourself, sometimes it's not as easy. Right? You're like, okay. And so it's been it's been a journey, right? And a lot of it's been the four businesses that are part of Ashfield Advisory have a great set of leaders and a great set of team members. And um, we had a, uh, and also the overall head of Ashfield Advisory, um, a guy by the name of Colin Stanley, joined the organization for within UDG about a year ago. So he just hit his year anniversary. And so when he came in, it was great to have a combination of the different CEOs of the businesses and Colin and, and other folks within finance and HR all talking about, well, what do we want our strategy to be? And it wasn't a prescriptive strategy by the parent company. And that's why I, I like the, the UDG and Asheville approach. It was a, let's think about what makes the most sense. And let's all get out of our own little silos that can be, it's hard hard for change, but let's think about what makes sense. And so we actually co-developed a Asheville advisory strategy and each of the divisions did this. And it was thinking about, and we actually drove towards that process. What became obvious to us was, all right, maybe it doesn't make sense to have these all these independent companies not having any context of each other and not taking advantages of where we might be able to add more client value. All right, let's take on the other end. We don't want to glue all these businesses together and lose all the amazing identity that drives a lot of the work they do today. What could be in the middle there? And that concept of an advisory ecosystem really struck all of us. And I was amazed at how quickly we became aligned on the right approach. And so now now we're starting to think about, okay, all the businesses, they offer some amazing services. That won't stop. That will continue. Where are there potential integrated offerings where we might be able to add additional value to our clients or maybe create more opportunities for the team? And if you can start to balance those two things, I'm, I'm excited about the potential for that Asheville Advisory brand to grow and how we can work together moving forward. And Gemma, anything to add to that or anything sort of with a slight nuance from the, the UK perspective in how that group functions? Yeah, absolutely. So UDG Ashfield obviously is across a lot of countries globally. So I think looking at um, the opportunity for, you know, thoughtful areas to collaborate from a geographical lens is one that's very exciting for us. So as we think about how from a London hub perspective, we scale, um, certainly we'll be very uh, interested to see, you know, how and where we do collaborate appropriately with other parts of, of Ashfield Advisory. So exciting times ahead and certainly something that we are starting to think about how we factor in potentially to some of our planning going forwards. Fantastic. And something, Jeff, to your point earlier about being consultants, having processes and systems, you obviously had your location playbook, and it sounds like the Ashford Advisory Group's only going to grow. So I'd love to, I'll ask it this way, and you can take it how you want, of for the next firm that joins, is there the Ashford Advisory joining playbook? And and what are the big things that you would advise anyone joining yourselves or joining another, another group to think about to make that integration a success? Yeah, that's a great question. And part of the driver that we talked about as a group was honing in on our strategy as this advisory ecosystem 
was going to be important for a number of reasons. But one of those reasons was for future acquisitions. So it was it was clear to them, all right, what are you joining? What type of group of companies and and how does that all work? And so that's a, that's a huge output. We haven't gotten to the level of the playbook yet, but it has, you know, there is the desire to continue to grow the overall from a UDG and Asheville perspective, but within Asheville Advisory too, there is a, there's a desire for additional acquisitions. And so that strategy is going to make it more and more clear for us. What companies are we we targeting and how do we educate companies around who we are and make sure it's a mutual fit, right? You want to make sure that's a, a good fit on both sides. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, please, when you get that playbook as well, I'd, I'd love to see it. So we're coming towards the end of our time together. And I have a set of questions that I ask every guest. And I'm conscious we've got two guests. So I, I get two for one in this. And I'd love to get both of your answers to these. So the first of our last questions, I start it around books. But if I'm honest, I, I probably need to change it because I've now had a whole range of guests who, who tell me actually they don't get their insights from books. They get it from podcasts, from articles, from you know, documentaries. But I'll ask it how I ask and please take this where you want. So this is very much to leave resources for our, you know, for our listeners, anything that's really helped you. So I'll start with yourself, Jeff, and then Jen would love to hear your answers as well. What is the the book or resource that has, has had the the biggest impact on you through your time at Vynamic and either you find yourself going back to or you find yourself recommending to others most often? That's a really good question. There's a there's a book that we had in the past. We still recommend it, but we um we used to pass out as part of or- orientation and it was um it was a book called and it's I, I promise you it's completely it's completely appropriate, but it's called Getting Naked by Patrick Lencioni. And it is it is a fascinating and phenomenal book about how consulting can be changed a bit when you're really, really transparent with your clients, where you're not trying to create a wall between yourselves and how you can build trust across an organization. And he has a, a number of books on a number of different topics, and I've read most of them. And he tells it in a sort of a parable type storytelling way that was really impactful and how consulting, and it, it aligned very much to our better way of consulting and how we interact with clients and how we make a more sustainable lifestyle for for our consultants. Fantastic. I've I've not heard of it. It has got a great title, but I love when I've got a book that I, I, I haven't heard of. So I'm going to go look look that one up. And, and Gemma, how about yourself? So for me, it's one that's a fairly recent book. It's called The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients. It's by David A. Fields. And uh, what I like about this book is, um, obviously, within the London team, as well as Vynamic as a whole, growth and scaling is a priority. And for us, you know, winning clients are the right clients is, uh, is, is very much close to our hearts at the moment. And what I like about this book is it's not uh, kind of the traditional approach to uh, really being a great consulting company and, and a great consultant. It's very much overlaying some of the practical aspects of how you basically become um, a real uh, trusted advisor with clients. So it's not just about proving your abilities and your knowledge. It's about how you actually really get to the source of truth to help them as strategic partners. And it's a fantastic book. And it's one that I often reference uh, when we're trying to make sure that we're keeping ourselves honest and really trying to look for that better way when we're engaging with clients as we grow. I love that. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm very much going to look that up because finding books on how to do what we do well, I find a few and far between. Uh, sorry, Jeff, did you have something you were about to add to that? Yeah, Nick, I'll, I'll give one other plug. I'm in the middle of a book right now called uh, Never Split the Difference negotiating as if your life depended on it. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that. It's it's written by a former hostage negotiator who partnered with Harvard to think about how those types of negotiating techniques can be applied. I'm reading it with a, I'm halfway through, I'm reading it with a kind of a networking group and uh, it's already 
changing my opinions on how to best uh, negotiate and, and get agreement with one another. So I, I have actually I have actually read that as well, and it, it is a great book. Some great because um, it's obviously as you say, negotiator is used to doing sort of terrorists and and bank hostage situations. Some great examples in there. I need I, to put that one on my list by the yeah. end of it. Well, and, and just because you and these might not be the sort of the seminal ones, but just because you mentioned there this networking group is any any others from that group or, or Gemma for the same for yourself? Just and anything that's jumped out. I know my listeners love to read, so or you know podcasts. Anything else from that group, Jeff, that stuck with you? I tend to listen to the Work Life podcast by Adam Grant. That's a, that's a good one for me. Um, I love his intro, and he he basically says like his job as an organizational psychologist is to make work not suck, and uh, I think that's as concise as it gets. And so uh, that's um, that's a goal of mine as well. So that's a that's a good one if anyone gets a chance to listen. I love that. I am I'm going to go and listen just for that just for that strap line. So. The last question for today, and again, this is one where I love to get the similarities and differences, uh, and I think you'll both have some some really unique perspectives on this. So it's a longish question. Bear with me. You've got three people in front of you. One of them is is just starting their career, so I'd know them as an analyst. You know, just come out of university, first consulting job. The second is someone who I'd call manager level. So they've they've been in the industry long enough to know what consulting is. They've got career options, but they're very much in those middle grades. And the third is someone approaching leadership. They're approaching partner, if you like, in a you know, in the consulting structure. And the, the question is quite simply, what one piece of advice would you give to each? That's a good question. I'll, I can I can start. I, I think if you're if you're just starting your career, my first advice would be that a, a project or a consulting role is what you make of it. Um, I often think, you know, people can think too much in terms of, okay, this is the role I have to do. And this is what I'm being told to do. Like go above and beyond surprise and delight your supervisor or your client, make people's lives easier. Like when you're early on, when I was right out of school or university, I was like, how can I make this person's life easier? And that will probably result in more opportunities for myself. And, and then be a sponge, right? Listen, learn, observe all the things we talked about with listening, consulting, such a great industry to learn in. So you can learn so much. Someone a little more in their career, the the you know four to five year or whatever the case is, I'd say uh, uh, check out Dynamic. No, <laughs> maybe we're the right fit for you. I would say honestly, like use your use your network. I think that's where you started to grow a broader network, whether it's a a, a mentor or people in your lives or people in your current jobs. Right, you're you're at an inflection point. My dad used to tell me that the first five years out of school are often figuring out what you don't want to do in your life, right? And so then you you kind of know where you might want to go. And so that's an inflection point. And then if you're if you're more senior, right? I, when you were kind of talking, I was thinking of all right. So someone's approaching a partner in a consulting firm. I don't know if I have great advice, but when I was at Accenture, I looked at partners and I was extremely impressed, right? And so, however, I decided to not go down that kind of lifestyle path. It didn't feel like the right path for me. But that was a personal decision. It wasn't right or wrong. So. Life's all about trade-offs. So I'd say think about what you want and what the trade-offs are versus, you know, one path versus another. And if you're if you're on that partner path and you and you think that's the right path, then you know, have a have a fun ride with lots of great impact ahead. Some great advice there, Jeff. Uh, Gemma, what's your take on those those questions? Well, definitely yes and to all of those. Uh Jeff, I'd say for for the junior analyst or early consultant, I would say in addition to being a sponge, uh, don't be too quick to judge right? Be really open-minded um, because you don't know what you don't know um, at that point. And then as as you grow and develop, then, you know, obviously 
keep keep learning, keep open-minded, um, focus on building confidence and uh, that trusted advisor capability, but also start to identify where your areas of true passion are, right? So, you know, not trying to do absolutely everything. So it's about that balance of getting diverse and broad experience, but also starting to identify those areas that really ignite your interest. And then for the approaching partner, I would say, you know, certainly knowing where you want to grow further. And I think when I reflect, it's about finding those folks in your network who really inspire you, right? And making sure that you are building your network so that you have various connections of of influence and learning through those inspirational folks. So those would be my my words of some wisdom. (laughs) And we're all still learning too, so. That's right, uh, I'll take a few of those. Yeah. It's I think a I think never-ending process. Yeah, I think some great advice there, Gemma, and and I think that last point. You know, we we do never stop learning, and I think that you know, when you stop learning is when you have problems. So I think great advice from both of you, and and thank you very much. So thank you so much for your your time for this. It's been been great to speak to both of you and and learn about the the dynamic journey both in the US and and now here in the UK. And then the last thing, really, for anyone who's listened to this, wants to find out more about the two of you, wants to find out more about dynamic. Where would you point them to? Where can they get in touch? Yeah, certainly you can go to dynamic.com and we have, uh, instead of just having some leadership highlighted and profiles on certain people, we have the entire company profiled. So all 175 of us and, and our profiles and some of the details, both personal and professional. So definitely go check that out on our team pages and uh, certainly check us out on LinkedIn as well. Love to connect. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. And all that's left to say is I've really enjoyed that and all the best for the rest of your week. Thanks so much, Nick. Likewise. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks, Thanks both. All the best. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.